This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today's sermon from our 2017 Maundy Thursday service is by Canon Stephen Gautier. Have you ever noticed that even the closest friendships sometimes don't survive the test of time? When you look back at a high school buddy, think of my age, a, a college roommate perhaps, maybe a relative or, or a sibling you were once very, very close to, you sometimes find years later that what was once a very close relationship just doesn't seem very close anymore. What happens? Well, one thing that can happen, we think of dramatic things, there can be hurt feelings or a quarrel, that can happen. But perhaps, sadly, more often something else happens. People just sort of lose touch and drift away. Right? Life goes on one way or another and people just sort of lose track of each other and move on. We lose connection. But happily, some friendships do last a lifetime, don't they? We have friends that, for decades that stay with us. And what do we see in all of those friendships typically? My experience has been, I bet it's yours, that every lasting friendship or relationship has what I call their champion. It's the person who makes it work. It's the one who takes the trouble to visit, to make the phone call, to write. There's somebody who's keeping it going, who keeps that connection, who keeps it alive. So, in our spiritual life, we face much the same challenge. In the book of Hebrews, where actually it describes it that way, it tells the, the, the recipients of that message in the, in the book of Hebrews, they said, be careful lest you drift away, just sort of casually drifting away. No, no big fight, not a big thing. It sort of happens. We sort of drift away. So, I like in the Last Supper, this very night, Jesus said to us twice, he says, you're my friends. One place he says, I don't call you servants, I call you my friends. He repeats that later on. So happily for us, I would, using our comparison, I think Jesus is the friend who's taken that extra effort to stay connected, the one who keeps that relationship going. So we say with regular friendships, it's something like people call and visit, they do something to keep it alive. What are we talking about? How does, how does Jesus keep us connected? What has he done that keeps us connected? The first thing we think, of course, is the Word of God. He's the living Word of God. And so we know that the living, He speaks to us in the Scriptures. The Scriptures don't just talk about Jesus. If we read them in faith and the Spirit, we actually hear Jesus' voice speaking to our lives. So that's one way we stay connected with God, our connection with Holy Scripture. But tonight, Holy Thursday, we're reminded of another vital point of connection, connection with His body in two ways, in the Lord's Supper, in communion, and in the church. God's, you know, Christ's body is the church, those two ways. So let our question be tonight, okay, how does Jesus stay connected with us in the Lord's Supper and the church? How does that happen? Well, first of all, that connection with Jesus is first formed at our baptism. Remember, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. By becoming a Christian, we are all baptized into that one body. We have our connection with that one body of Christ. Now, how is that connection maintained? Or as the John might say, the Apostle John, how do we abide in Jesus? Well, Jesus once answered that question for a large crowd. He said, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, the question could be, how is that possible? Happily for us, in the gospel, we often have people who ask all the right questions. The crowd said, how can that be? The crowd said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
And on Holy Thursday, we basically celebrate the answer to that question. Where Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He goes on and says the same about the cup. So Paul goes on, unless we have any doubts, that these are signs, but they're not just signs. They're actual means of participating in the body and blood of Christ. Look what he says. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? They're signs that also connect us. They're a means by which we actually participate in the body and blood of Christ. So Paul, when we're talking about remembrance here, clearly it's not remembrance like a lot of us would think of it. We tend to think of memory, remembrance as a mental journey, sort of like nostalgia. We sort of look back. But actually, Paul, Jesus, and Paul are talking about transformation of the past itself, turning the past into a present living reality, a representation of the past. And this is very Old Testament. In the Hebrew Scriptures, it often talks about God remembering. Now, in case we have any doubts about God can't forget, it's not like he said, what is that I wanted to remember? That doesn't happen. God doesn't have memory lapses. So what does it always mean when we say that powerful sign, God remembered? He says God remembered, for example, uh, he said God uh, remembered Noah, for example. God remembered, remembered Abraham. God remembered Rachel. Each time, there's a current action. There's a past promise that comes right into the present. It takes life today. It becomes alive here and now for them. God remembered so we might use our example with a friend. It's we can think about a friend, but it's the difference between thinking about a friend nostalgically and say, hey, picking up the phone and giving them a call. It's more than that. It's, it's action based on that. Now, the Lord's Supper then is not just a remembrance of something that happened long ago with other peoples then and there, something Jesus and the apostles. Rather, the Lord's Supper is something that happens here and now every time we celebrate Holy Communion. Remember when Paul talked about participation, he wasn't talking about the Last Supper. He was talking about the Lord's Supper every week at Corinth. He says, when you celebrate, you know, this, the Lord's Supper, he's talking about their weekly celebration. So again, it's, it's not just a Last Supper long ago. It's a perpetual supper that will continue to the end of time. Paul tells us, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A Last Supper turned into the perpetual supper to the end of time. So again, it's not, he was an example of the friend, it's not a photo in a family album or a yearbook. It's the visitor at the front door. It's the caller on the phone. So what does it mean to participate in the body and blood of Jesus in Holy Communion? The exact words of Paul. Well, I think there's a powerful thing we might miss in the Hebrew Scriptures. I think most of us know, even if we don't know much about, uh, about uh, things, uh, things Jewish, is what kosher food is. There are certain foods you can't just eat everything if you're faithful to the law of Moses. There are certain foods you can't eat. We all know things like shellfish and pork, but even meat which is allowed, for example, beef, right, is, is allowed, has to be prepared in a special way. And the heart of that special way is to drain the blood in a very special way to make sure there's no blood left. Why? Because it very specifically says, you know, that um, it says, only be sure, this is quoting from Deuteronomy, that you don't eat the blood, for the blood is the life. So the reason we're told not to eat the blood, in, in Jewish law is saying, the blood is the life. So what happens with here is, we're actually told to drink this cup. This is my blood, drink. 
is Christ is inviting us to participate in his very life. That's his life. Now, what does it mean to, uh, you know, to, to share his very life? Well, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So the life we participate in is Christ's own eternal life. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. He's the great I am. To participate in his life is to participate in our own way in the life of God. It's participating in eternal life. One of the early church fathers, uh, Ignatius of Antioch, famously called Eucharist, he said communion, he said it's the, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's the medicine of immortality. And I love that comparison. Because he's saying, you know, all of us now, because of sin, we have to live with mortal bodies, we have to live with all the frailties, etc. But you know, in our, all of us, I can tell all of us who are older, many of us have chronic conditions that we take medicines for every day. And because of those medicines, we can live perfectly normal lives. But without them, we would be very limited in what we could do. So he's saying the me medicine of immortality, despite all our mortality, despite sin, it's somehow a way, this medicine, that allows us to be connected to God's own eternal life. So why is this so important to our lives? Well, the New Testament and the early, uh, the early church fathers made a comparison. And it's a beautiful comparison. I think it really, really helps understand it. It's what, what it does it for me. As they said, it's really the story of Israel's exodus is our story. And they say, first of all, how does the exodus start? We have a Passover lamb. If you remember the story, a Passover lamb is slaughtered and the blood is put right as a sign that protects the children of Israel from the angel of death. And so we start with a Passover lamb and then Israel crosses from slavery to freedom, they cross the Red Sea. And this was really a crossing from slavery to freedom because do you remember what happens when the Red Sea, when they cross? is the next morning what happens. It's, it seems like a, a macabre detail, but it's really important, is the bodies wash up of Pharaoh. Why is that important? Because they realized it meant as long as Pharaoh and his troops were alive, they could have taken boats, they could have gone around. The Red Sea is not a, an obstacle you can't cross. The point, the Israelites had only been a little bit ahead. It was only their death that showed it was really over forever. They would never be slaves of Pharaoh again because Pharaoh was no more. So is that that crossing from slavery to freedom. Pharaoh was no more. They would never be slaves of Pharaoh again. But what was the promise? The promise was to Abraham, the fulfillment that I'm going to bring you into your own land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's the promise. But that hope is only fulfilled 40 years later when Joshua leads the children of Israel into the land. So we have a problem in those 40 years between here, the Red Sea and the Jordan River, we have a desert. This is not a place with food and water, right? People need something to eat, something to drink to survive. So we have the miraculous manna, right? We read in our psalm tonight about the water coming out miraculously, coming out of the rock. So God, you know, with, 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 with bread, the bread from heaven, manna that's bread from heaven with this water, actually feeds them. Otherwise, they would never have made it. The promise was there, the freedom is here, and they had to cross that space. And that's why they had the manna you know, the bread from heaven. So we learn in the New Testament and the church fathers that we all know that our Passover Christ is sacrificed, Lamb is Christ. Remember every Eucharist we say, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Christ is our Passover Lamb, right? He's the one whose blood has saved us from death. We also know that so we cross from slavery, slavery and death to freedom and life in our baptism. Okay, just as Israel crossed into freedom, 
when they crossed the Red Sea. But we have the same problem they did. Our promise is eternal life with God, right? We're talking about a heavenly city, as we talk about in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Colossians says, a hope laid up in heaven. It's not here. It's something bigger than here. Uh, Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. So we're not at the place of the promise. We've been freed from the domination of sin and death. But we are not at the fullness of that promise. We are not seeing God forever in our resurrection bodies. How do we survive from our lives? How do we survive from here to there? That's the issue. And that's why Jesus, when he talks about eating his flesh, drinking, he said, I am the true bread for heaven. He compares himself to that manna. That is what keeps us going. That is his nourishment. It keeps alive the life we receive. It keeps the life that we receive in baptism. You have to nourish life or it dies. It keeps that life alive. And also another thing, remember the children of Israel would have plenty of bread when they finally got to the promised land, right? It was a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was a food for the journey. Remember in the book of Joshua, when does the manna stop? The first day they actually eat grain from the land. And that's the story. This, the bread from heaven is here until we actually are with God face to face and are with Jesus. So it's our food for the journey. So it's a foretaste of eternal life. So it's not just food for the journey, it's a foretaste of what awaits us in heaven. Just as the manna for the Israelites is a foretaste of a land where they have plenty of bread, our foretaste is a foretaste of the life we'll have with Christ, you know, when that promise is fulfilled. Now, the church loves to compare the story of what is it in our spiritual life with the Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper, they compare that to uh, Elijah, the prophet. Elijah was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Remember when Jesus has his transfiguration, we have to have Moses as the symbol of the law, right? The law of Moses. Who is the symbol of all the prophets? Elijah. Elijah was the, the greatest of the prophets. And one of his great moments, and many of us, probably most of us remember from Sunday school, is once there was a false religion, the religion of Baal was taking over, it was becoming more popular than the worship of God in Israel. And uh, what happens is Elijah calls a contest. He says, let's have it, have it out here. Let's make a choice who the true God is. We can't go both ways. We can't, he said, limp between two opinions. Which way is it? And he actually has a contest on Mount Carmel. And this is a great, I'm not meaning to pun here, a great mountaintop experience. It's a great, a great spiritual high. He wins big time. I mean, they, they try so hard, nothing happens. He calls down God, send down fire, and the fire comes down to vindicate him. It was a mountaintop spiritual experience. And yet, like many of us at mountaintop experience, guess what happens the next day? He's... Completely, he's, he's exhausted, discouraged, and ready to give up. He tells God he's ready to die. So one day later, because he still has opposition, he's ready to die. So he lays down, and what happens there in his story? He wakes up, and it said, He looked, and behold, there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones with a jar of water. And it said, He ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to the Mount of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing for us? You know, he said, the journey is so great for you. You need food or you, you won't make the journey. He, he ate, he drank, and he said he walked in the, in the force, you know, the power of that food, even to the mountain of God. So too for us on our heavenly journey. But there's more than our connection. We talk about the body of Christ. We talk about receiving the body and blood, participating in his body and blood in, in Eucharist, as Paul says. But there's another body of Christ, his church. And that's also something Paul deals with that it's easy for us to miss. And it, remember in Corinthians, when he's talking about this, he talks about people failing to discern the body. 
And sometimes people think that what we're talking about is they were taking the bread and the wine and failing you know, to discern that participation. But it was more than that. Paul tells us a story we don't have here. People were coming to church and they would have a meal. They combined at that time, they combined the Lord's Supper, they combined it with a meal, like a fellowship meal. And it turned out some people were very wealthy and some were very poor, really had no food. And people were refusing to share. People were actually going hungry. People were actually eating too much. You were actually getting sick eating too much. While other people went hungry. And what Paul said to them discerning the body, saying, you can't claim to see the body here and not see the body there in your brothers and sisters. They're both the body of Christ. And so Holy Thursday reminds us of that, of that profound truth, you know, that invites us to do that. You know, that's what the foot washing is about. It reminds us that we see Christ in our, you know, we, we wash each other's feet. We're seeing Christ where he's to be found in his church and our brothers and sisters in the church. We, we serve Christ by serving them. That's our other connection with the body of Christ is in his church. Now, one more thing that way about the prophet Elijah. One of the reasons he was so discouraged after this mountaintop experience, I love the words he says here. He said, uh, he said, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets. And so listen to this. And I, even I only am left. I'm the only one left. Well, actually, a few verses later, God corrects him. God is, is kind. He says, well, actually, there are 7,000 people who are in this condition, but he seems to have missed them. So the problem wasn't that he was alone, and that really discouraged him. It put him in very best. He just failed to see those who were there. And that's the risk we can have. We think we're alone when actually we fail to see those who are there with us. We're not alone. What about those with you, the thousands with you, the church? So to conclude, our relationship, we said relationships, be friendships, be family relationships, have to be nourished and sustained, right, to be sustained. There's no substitute for continued connection. It's the difference between, in the example of friendship, between a live friendship and a mere memory, right? That's the difference. Uh, people are just memories, yeah, 30 years ago, or somebody I remember them, and someone who's actually an ongoing part of your life. At the Last Supper, Jesus calls us friends. And he himself has taken that initiative, that this is not going to be a mere memory of the past. It's going to be a living reality. How? He says it uh, in Holy Communion and through our brothers and sisters in the church. So this Holy Three, let's pray the grace to listen, to heed the warnings of the prophet Elijah. Arise and eat. The journey is too great for you. That God has given us the food for the journey. That's where the Latin word, you might have heard the term viaticum. Uh, you know, they talk about when they bring communion to the sick. That actually is the Latin word for food for journey, the lunch you take on a, on a trip. It's the food for the journey. And also let us ask to lift our eyes to see the body of Christ all around us in his body, the church. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.